Hey, Paul, good morning, everybody. Have you ever noticed, I, I, I just kind of thought about this, have you ever noticed how much emptier it is in here once the kids all go to Sunday school? We have a lot of kids. I tell you, it is so, it, it's such a blessing and I'm so happy to see so many kids and teenagers and, and youth group members and young adults, college students. Um, I'm just so pleased that, every, that, that, that you guys come out um, and that you uh, spend a little bit of time here with us on Sunday mornings. Um, last week we looked at the word discipline. Uh, some of you might remember that. Some of you probably tried hard to forget uh, that we talked about discipline. But we said that discipline is the practice of training people to obey rules and orders and punishing them if they do not. And discipline is also the controlled behavior or situation that is the result of this training. And we said that it takes discipline. It takes action on our part on a regular basis to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And we have been going through this sermon series, uh, Building a Disciple or Building Disciples. And Jesus calls us to be disciples. He calls us not just to hear his teaching or, in our case, to read his teaching in Scripture. He doesn't even call us just to understand what he is saying. Jesus calls us to do what he teaches in Scripture. And he also calls us to do what he modeled for us because Jesus did a lot of modeling. I don't know if you guys uh, are familiar with uh, teaching uh, at all, but there's a term or an acronym in teaching called CUD. I know, it's really fun to say CUD, right? Has nothing to do with the way a cow eats. It is uh, this acronym that means uh, know, understand, and do. And the theory behind this is that effective teachers start by sharing knowledge. They, they, they give their students something that they want them to know. So let's take a look. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be a classroom this morning, is that okay? How many of you really liked school? One, two, and a half, okay. We're going, to be, we're, going to, we're going to take a vocabulary word today. We're going to learn a little bit about that vocabulary word. And the word we're going to learn about is ubiquitous. I, you know, I thought you guys thought I was going to pick an easy word. No, we're going to use a hard word. Ubiquitous. And first step for a teacher, we want the student to know the word itself. We want them to know the letters. How do you spell it? How do you say it? Right? We show them kind of the... the uh, phonetic way of saying it, which is right underneath the word, right? So we say it ubiquitous. Can you say ubiquitous? Good job, class. Yes, ubiquitous. So we will show the student the word and we can see how to spell it and it's spelled phonetically and we have an idea of how to say it. We practice it, just saying the word so that we have it in our heads, right? That's the knowledge. And then the teacher is going to then kind of teach a little bit more. So we have this word, this big word. Well, what does this big word mean, Mr. Dorica? I don't know what this big word means. So we teach the definition. 
And we say that ubiquitous is existing or being everywhere at the same time, constantly encountered or widespread. And that's the dictionary definition. That's what ubiquitous means. Now, if you just heard the meaning, is it likely that you're going to understand the, the, the whole gist of this word ubiquitous? Maybe, maybe not. Right? So we help the student understand the word. We're going to say, okay, we're going to write some sentences that use the word ubiquitous. So does everybody have their pencil and piece of paper? Wow, you guys came unprepared today. I tell you. But the, the teacher will create some uh, activities that allow students to dig deeper into this word. And they'll say something like, okay, you see the word and you see the definition. Now what I want you to do is I want you to list three things that you know that match this definition, right? And the kids, they'll write three things that they know. Okay, the air we breathe is all around us. The sky is all around us. Wordle is all around us. Pastor Joe's love of bacon is ubiquitous, right? We all know that, right? So we have these, these activities. and. The more we use the word and the more we practice the word, the more we're able to understand it, right? And we do the same thing with the Bible, right? The more we read it, the more we kind of get into it and study a little bit, the more we understand it. So finally, after the student understands this deeper concept of the word ubiquitous, the teacher will start having them use the word like during classes. Right? Um, maybe the teacher assigns a writing prompt and says, okay, we've learned five vocabulary words, including ubiquitous. I want you to write a story that uses all of those words. And then the teacher checks, make sure that they understand, right? So they can use that word and they can make a presentation or they can do whatever they need to do. So know, understand, and do. God gave us his word, the Bible, so that we can know what living a life that is pleasing to him looks like. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to provide demonstration, to tell us and show us how we are supposed to live this life that God wants us to live as citizens of God's kingdom. And he did this so that we might know him. But it's the doing that's the most important part. If we just know, that's really kind of useless to building the kingdom of God. So, God sent us a helper. God sent the Holy Spirit. Ten days after Jesus returned to the Father, the Holy Spirit came down from heaven to provide us with deeper instruction in God's word and in Christ's example. And his purpose is to help us to understand the things that we read in Scripture, but also to convict us to do them. And he reminds us over and over again, you should do these things so that you can build a deeper relationship with God the Father. So last week we talked about some internal disciplines, right? Some spiritual disciplines, things like prayer and Bible study and fasting. I won't mention that again for like a week at least. 
stewardship. Right? Through, through prayerful study of the Scripture, the Spirit teaches us biblically what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And through fasting, that's something that we do so that it reminds us to daily rely on God's provision. And in stewardship, we see God's provision for what it is. He, he gives us what we need when we need it. Not necessarily when we want it, but when we need it. And then he provides us with more than we need sometimes. And he does that not just so we can hold on to that more. He does that so that we can provide for the needs of others. So these internal disciplines, these things that we are supposed to do on a regular basis, help us to live the way that Christ lived. But this morning, we're actually going to step away from the, the internal disciplines, the personal disciplines, and we're going to talk about what we might call the corporate disciplines, corporate or group spiritual disciplines, right? So I know corporate, you know, wow, don't say corporate in church. That makes it sound like a business. No, corporate means group. We do these things together. And these are things that we do maybe in small groups. Maybe we do as entire congregation. But we do these things with other people. And God created us to live with other people. He created us to be in community with each other. In Genesis chapter 2, we see God dealing with the man that he had created. And the first thing he did, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And sometimes we forget. I know a lot of times when I read, you know, the story of the Garden of Eden, I forget that Adam actually was given responsibilities. He was given work to do. And we often call Eden what? Paradise, right? How many of you have heard of Eden is paradise? And usually when we think of paradise, we think of something like this. How many of you think this is paradise? Laying in a hammock on a beach with the cool breeze coming across, not a care in the world, just sleeping, just napping, doing whatever we want. And this is how we're, we're marketed paradise, right? It's get away from all of your responsibilities and get away from all of these things. Just play. That's what we want to do. We want to play. And if that's the definition of paradise, then Eden was not paradise. It wasn't. Eden was a workplace. Now, I'm not saying that the work was necessarily difficult for Adam to do, right? Because back then, when Eden was perfect, before sin entered the world, there weren't things like weeds and thistles and things like that. And you guys that, that have gardens or do farming, you know what I'm talking about. Right? You got to constantly go out there. You got to get those weeds out because the weeds will choke out the plants and then you won't have good plants and all that other stuff. So there's, but there was still work to do. Adam likely had to prune the trees. Adam likely had to make sure that if there was anything that was growing that, you know, kind of would impede growth, you know, make sure that the trees could get, he had to do some work. Maybe he had to fertilize the, the plants and the trees and things like that, right? He was doing something. God had him work the garden. And soon after God had him start working the garden, he said, this boy needs help. 
He said, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs help. He needs somebody. Loneliness was one of the first things to ever happen to man after he was created. Adam was lonely, and God knew that Adam was lonely. And that, yeah, he had a relationship with God. And, and that, was, that was a really good relationship, but it was not the best relationship for Adam because Adam was not God. They could relate together, but there were things that Adam just, he would not be able to even comprehend some of these things in relationship with God that we're going to comprehend once we get to heaven, right? So he, God, decided that Adam needed another human to relate to. So Genesis tells us that God brought every animal to Adam, and Adam named every animal. And he named all the animals, saw all the animals, and in the end, in Genesis 2:20, uh, we read, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So most of us know the story. God took one of Adam's ribs, built this other human being. And he presented this human being to Adam, and Adam said, Woo, man! And that is how woman came to be the term that we call this other human. No, that's probably not how it happened. Um, who knows? I mean, he might have gone, Woo, man! You know, but um, it's not biblical, so, you know, that's just conjecture. But God created woman who was supposed to be a helper suitable for the man. And in Genesis 2.25, we read, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The man and the woman were about to make a lot of little helpers. Because God planned it that way. God planned it that humans would have other humans. That we would live together. That we would work together. Yes, even play together. But that we would do it together. When Jesus Christ came, one of the things that he did is he established what he called the church. And I'm talking about church with a capital C. The church is everyone, all people across the world who have repented of their sins, have become followers of Jesus Christ, and do what God wants them to do in order to build or work and keep his kingdom, just like Adam in the garden. The church was made to be ubiquitous. It was made to exist and be everywhere at the same time. The church is supposed to be constantly encountered and it's supposed to be widespread. We should see the church everywhere. And in Acts chapter 1, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said that much. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, he gave further instruction, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The church was supposed to be everywhere. It was supposed to be ubiquitous. That's what Jesus had planned. 
Now, the church was born in Jerusalem on the Jewish day of Pentecost. There were, the Holy Spirit entered 120 believers. That's all there were at the beginning of the church, 120 people, all gathered together, all praying, and the Holy Spirit entered them. This was about 9 o'clock in the morning. By the end of that day, over 3,000 people had joined them because the 120 came and they did. They shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with all of the people that were in Jerusalem. And they say that the, the celebration of Pentecost, there were more people there than the celebration of Passover, usually. You're talking about 100,000, 200,000 people in one place. 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ because of what the disciples did. And of course, all 3,000 of them filled with the Holy Spirit. Church continued to grow in Jerusalem for a while. Spread out to Judea, which was kind of right around Jerusalem, right? But for a while, they were all comfortable. They were all living and they, everybody, everybody liked them. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see everybody liked the people of the church. They were held in high regard. And God had other plans for the church. You're not here to be comfortable. And the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, started persecuting the Christians. Started persecuting them so severely that they had to scatter in order to save their physical lives. So they scatter, they disperse, and they go all over the place. And we have believers now in Ethiopia, and we have believers in Asia, and we have believers all over the known world. And all of them did. They preached the gospel. They, take, they took care of the poor. They built churches in their own little communities. And we fast forward almost 2,000 years, and in East Berlin, Pennsylvania, the Stoner family was inspired to begin a ministry to children in the community. And they decided to do it at Victory Schoolhouse on Germany Road. Morning Hour Chapel started serving 14 children in the schoolhouse on September 14, 1930. 30 years later, it became a Brethren in Christ Church, 1960. And almost 92 years later, here you are. Morning Hour Chapel. And I don't know if you've ever read the church's website. Um, it's, it's brief. You, there's not a lot of like words or anything. But if you ever go to the church's website, right on the main page, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and there's this story about how Morning Hour Chapel began. It's part of what I just shared with you about the Stoner family and the Victory Schoolhouse. And it's only like four paragraphs. Like, seriously, go to morninghourchapel.org and, and like read the website. But one of the things that I love reading from this brief account is this. We seek to remain connected to the passion and pioneering spirit of those who first had open eyes to see the need, open hearts to be inspired, and willing hands to serve. They knew the need. 
Then they understood the need. And then they did something about that need. Could. Know, understand, and do. And I'm fairly sure that this statement uh, has to relate to the stoner family themselves, but I like to think that it's also talking about the 120 believers that were in that room together when the Holy Spirit fell upon them and made them the first of the church. But how do we do this? How do we remain connected to the passion and pioneering spirit of those first believers? We practice corporate disciplines. We practice group disciplines. And if you attend church regularly, you're practicing one of those group disciplines. We call it worship. Now worship is not just the music. Worship means everything that we do here on a Sunday morning. It means prayer. It means taking communion, praise songs, hymns, the children's story, because let's face it, you guys are getting a lot out of the children's story. I could just have people come up and do children's stories and just, you, you guys would learn a lot. <laughs> but we have Sunday school, and we have the offering, and we have preaching, and we have teaching, and we have classes. We have the fellowship hall where we go up, and we, we gather together and just be together. All of these things are forms of worship. We are thankful that God has put us together in this configuration of people. But what we need to do is we need to understand that it's for a reason. You are not here by accident. You were led here by the Holy Spirit. Some of you don't believe that. But it is true. You were led to this particular church building because the Holy Spirit wanted you here for a reason. And we talk about all of these things that we do, prayer and preaching and all these. These are all biblical things. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, the first 120 believers, when they were together, it says, all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is a really powerful statement. Because right now we have a lot of women Right? Actually, women make up more of a church congregation than men do, often. But this is a powerful statement for the first century when women weren't allowed to do anything. Women weren't allowed to go to synagogue. Women weren't allowed to learn the, the, the teachings past a certain age. Christian women were. They were all together in one place. In the next chapter, we read in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking of bread is communion. Fellowship is eating together, hanging out together, playing together, doing things together. Apostles' teaching, that's kind of sort of what I do. Poorly, but I do it. All of these things, the early church, the first gathering of believers was doing. And the Apostle Paul, after all of these people dispersed, and after all of these people uh, 
formed churches in their, little, in their own little communities. The Apostle Paul started visiting all of these different churches, planted some of them. And then he would write letters to them, giving them instruction, helping them to become deeper disciples of Jesus Christ. And in Colossians 3.16, he writes this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Yes, worship means singing, but it also means teaching. And it also means children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 7 say, And these words that I command you, this is God talking to the people of Israel, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. All of these things are aspects of group or corporate worship. All of these things are things that we are told we ought to be doing. We're supposed to be doing them regularly. That's what makes it a discipline. Now, sadly, I have heard people talk about not going to church. Christians. And the thing that I hear most often is, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And there are pastors out there that preach, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And you know what? They're right. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to step foot in the building. You don't have to step foot anywhere near a church to come to repentance in Jesus Christ. That can happen anywhere. That can happen on a subway in New York City. That can happen on the back of a camel going across the desert in Ethiopia. That can happen anywhere. Becoming a Christian can happen anywhere. It does not have to happen in a church. But what is biblically clear is that believers, once they have become believers, need to gather regularly with other believers. We need to sing together. We need to pray together. We need to laugh together. We need to cry together. We need to just play together. This is what the Bible tells us. We need to hear biblical teaching. Because while we should study the Bible and understand it, there are some things that we just won't understand. And there are some things that we can be taught by other people who are a little further down their spiritual path. And if we try to do it all by ourselves, we're going to have some misunderstandings about what Scripture tells us. We need to sit under biblical teaching. We need to bring our children with us to church on Sunday mornings so that they can hear biblical teaching at their level. I don't have a problem with preaching to a child at their level if we have the whole room full of children and you guys. Just like the children's story, you'll get a lot out of it. But they have certain things that they have to learn that you guys are beyond. So we have Sunday school for them to teach them together what Christ expects of us. Now, one thing I want to say, 
None of this has to happen in a building called a church. There are literally thousands, maybe even millions of Christians who gather together with other believers not in a church building. I know pastors who pastor from a movie theater. I know pastors that pastor from homes. They gather together in homes and they, they, they worship together. Across the world, people are worshiping in caves. People are worshiping underground because to worship in the open could mean death to them. So they don't have church buildings. But the thing is, this building is not the church. This is the church. You and I and the children downstairs and all of the other believers gathered anywhere in the world to worship God or the church. And it doesn't matter where you gather, it just matters that you gather to be together. No, you don't need to be in a church to become a Christian. But you need to be together with other believers to be a disciple. You need to be with other believers in the big C church to worship, to build relationships together. A lot of you are, are family with each other. A lot of you are friends with each other. You've known each other for a lot of years. A lot of you have come here because your friends have invited you to come here. Our relationships are so crucial to that part of discipleship that helps us to encourage each other and build each other up. Adam had God all to himself. Who could ask for anything more? A one-on-one, -on -one, nobody else around ever relationship with God. And God knew that's not how it should be. God knew that Adam needed other humans like himself. When Jesus sent the disciples out to preach together, first he sent out the 12, then he sent out 72, and he always sent them out in pairs. They were never sent alone. And I'm sure part of the reason is because traveling alone back in that time was extraordinarily dangerous. But when those people came to the towns that they were preaching in, and they were getting mocked, and they were getting scorned, and they were getting laughed out of town, they needed the encouragement of one another to remain strong. They needed the courage to work together, to go to the next town. What Jesus says to do is wipe the dirt of that town off of your feet and go to the next town. And they needed each other for that strength. They needed each other for that courage to move on and not give up. And we need each other to stay strong. We need each other to encourage. We need each other so that we don't give up. 
the writer of Hebrews, he, he spends almost the whole book talking about faith, talking about building faith, talking about having faith, talking about keeping faith. And he talks about a faith that is unwavering. And he tells us how we can have such a faith. And we start in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, that's Jesus Christ, has promised that he will stay with us and will be unwavering. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You can come to faith without gathering regularly for believers, but it's going to be really hard to keep that faith if you don't. Disciples of Jesus Christ, the people sitting here in these pews today, the people watching online, we stir one another up, or that's what we're supposed to do, stir one another up to love and good works. We have, and, and this is just incredible to me, we have so many people in this congregation that do things. We have so many people in this, and, and this, is, this is an unusual congregation. You guys are weird, okay? Because there are a lot of congregations, you might get 15%, you might get 20% of people going and doing things, taking care of people, taking care of the church. I mean, it's got to be like 75, 80% of you doing things. And the 25 or 30% of you that aren't probably just don't know who to talk to about doing things. We are supposed to stir one another to love and to good works. And more importantly, we're supposed to encourage each other. I can't tell you how many times I have walked through this building on a Sunday morning and have seen people standing off in a corner, either laughing together or crying together. If we can know one another by gathering every Sunday, we can be that encouragement when somebody's life is falling apart. And we can be the celebration when those people have something really good that God is doing in their lives. And we cannot do that sitting on a sofa at home, laying in bed at home on a Sunday morning. It's impossible. We have to be here to be able to encourage one another. If you're serious about living your life with Jesus at the center, one of the things you agree to is that you are a member of his capital C church. And Jesus calls us, the capital C church, to gather together, to worship together, to encourage one another to do good works together, and most of all, just to love together. Are you stirred to love and good works? Do 
you love coming here to be an encouragement to other people. That's what we're called to do. That's who Christians are. That's what the church is. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the children down in the Sunday school that are learning about you and learning about how they can be doers of your word. We thank you for the adults and the, the teens and the young adults that are here this morning that are looking to hear, looking to learn. And God, I pray, hoping and looking to do those things that you would call us to do as a church. Father, strengthen us so that we can strengthen one another. Help us to be an encouragement. Help us to stir one another up to do good works. And Father, help us to love one another and every person outside these four walls today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love others, encourage others, and as you are able, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who don't know. God bless you.